Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Before we dive into this message and this new series, I have something I'm very excited about that I want to share with you. Uh, Coming up on March 21st, that's a Monday night, I'm going to be teaching a four-week class uh, that's called, well, it's called Bible Class for Bible Skeptics. That's going to be the class I'm teaching. Uh, Four weeks long, and it is a class designed specifically for those of you who uh, maybe you struggle with whether you believe in the authority of this book, or you, you struggle, or maybe you know somebody who struggles uh, with, with whether you can even trust what the Bible has to say. Because let's face it, uh, the Bible is full of weird laws and disturbing stories and, and uh, confusing claims that can easily lead us to doubt or skepticism. And I mean, it, it might be the reason why you're stuck in your faith right now, okay? Or why someone you know is stuck in their faith. And I should know, because it may be weird for a pastor to say this, but I'm actually a very skeptical person myself, and I've had to wrestle through a lot of my own questions about whether this Bible can be trusted— but of course now I'm a pastor, so I, wanna, I want this class to be a, an opportunity, a safe place to talk about some of the common critiques of Scripture and maybe see if we together can find a path forward, not, not uh, against skepticism, but through our skepticism, because being skeptical can be a really healthy thing. Um, and so we're going to go there, and here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we are, first of all, we're not talking about, this is not apologetics. So by that I mean, this is not me trying to convince you not to doubt Okay, it's not me trying to convince you not to be skeptical. This is an opportunity for us to to go there and look at, well, what are the problems that people normally have with the Bible? And can we find a way to to approach those? Like, for example, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how the Bible came to be, like how how the Bible is what it is. We're going to talk about questions of inerrancy. Are there errors in the Bible? Uh, Reliability, whether the Bible is misogynistic, right? Is it it negative towards women? Uh, uh, What about the wrath of God? How do we deal with that? in light of Jesus? What do we do with biblical claims which seem to contradict the claims of modern science or culture? Okay, so we're going to go there because Grace Church is a church that asks the hard questions. We go there. We talk about this stuff. And I'm hopeful that this will actually be a really great opportunity for those of you who struggle to to have some footholds perhaps for how to build your faith even in the midst of skepticism. Everybody's welcome to join the conversation. I just have one request— my one request is that if you join the conversation, you come with open palms, and you're willing to, to uh, approach it humbly and willing to wrestle along with us, okay? That's, that's my request. It's March 21st. Uh, if you want info, you can go to gracechurch.us slash skeptic, and uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about it some more before, between now and then, but just wanted you to know about it. I'm very, very excited about this class. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Father God, As we open up the Gospel of John, as we uh, begin to encounter the Jesus that that he presents to us, Father, my ask, my request is that your Holy Spirit would, would enliven our hearts, that you would speak clearly to us, and that we would have ears to hear what you have to say. I pray in these moments together that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain as we, as we listen uh, to, to this holy book and how it transforms our lives. So, Father, I pray all these things, trusting and believing in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So today, this is, this is a, a new series just called The Gospel of John. 
for the next 12 weeks, it's a little longer than our normal sermon series. It'll take us all the way through the week after Easter. We are going to explore this, this book, the Gospel of John. You probably all are familiar with John 3.16, right? That's like a passage everybody, even if you don't know what the Bible verse is, you always see people ho- holding that up at sporting events, and like Tim Tebow like writes it on his eyes sockets or whatever that's, that's called. The eye black, I know it's called eye black. I'm not completely ignorant of sports. Um, yeah, and, and we see this everywhere. But I guess, guess what I found out? There are more verses in that book than just John 3, 16. And we're going to talk about those other verses. Shocker. I know, we're all learning something new. Um, we will talk about John 3, 16, though, in a few weeks. I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. But all that to say, there's a whole book. And you may know there are four gospels, what we call gospels. That's just the Greek word for good news. There's four stories about Jesus in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John is very unique. It's very different than the other three. The other three, uh, in, in a sense, they try to kind of capture the whole sweep of Jesus's life and ministry. They talk about how he's, you know, his birth and all that stuff, and uh, with the exception of Mark, I know. Uh, but they talk about his whole ministry. But John, he's not trying to do that. He's not trying to tell some big sweeping story. Instead, what John does is he zooms in on these very specific moments with Jesus, uh, specific miracles, specific things that he taught. He, he even spends half of the book, or a quarter of the book, talking about one specific meal that Jesus had with his disciples. So he zooms way in, and what he does is presents this very provocative image of Jesus, a very provocative challenge. Basically, he, he wants his readers to, to hear this. He's like, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Are you in or are you out with this whole Jesus thing? That's, that's what John is trying to get at. Uh, in fact, throughout the gospel, what we see are these really stark dichotomies. Again and again, it's like truth or falsehood, uh, life or death, light and dark. Like he, he makes no—there's no room to be gray about the Jesus that we meet in John. You can't be lukewarm. You got to kind of pick a side. But it's clear why John is doing all of this. When you read through the gospel, you see he's not just doing this to try to uh, stake some theological claim. No, he's doing it. Uh, and he, he says this. Here, here's what he says at the end of the book. He says, The disciples uh, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so—and here's his reason for writing. These are written so that you may continue to believe— that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life, life by the power of his name. So he's he's writing these things so that you can believe, but that through that belief, you will experience life. So when all is said and done, when you look at the Gospel of John, what this is, is an invitation for us to experience life to experience life, true life, or as we'll talk about later, what John calls eternal life, the kind of life that, that, that brings us to life both now and in the new creation. It's the kind of life that, according to John, only Jesus Christ can bring. And I, I'll tell you, I think we need some of that life right now. Right? I mean, we are, we are living in a time where it does not—I don't feel very alive sometimes, right? Uh, we, are, we are dulled by our culture, by consumerism, by our phones, by media. Like, it, we are, we're just kind of half alive all the time. We're walking around like zombies. I think this is a perfect time for us to rediscover the true life that can be ours. Our culture, our, our, the, the community around us is like, the, the fabric of it is threadbare. Like we are, we need to be invigorated. 
to have life again. We need to be brought back alive. And if what John claims is true, then I think he's going to show us how. So that's what this series is about. We're going to look at how John uh, presents this provocative image of Jesus because in it is the key to life, to life. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to start by looking at how John begins his gospel, because in the first several verses of the gospel, he actually kind of captures the entire storyline in a nutshell, kind of gives it all to us at the very beginning. So we're going to look at that as a way of setting up the whole series. So if you want to turn with me in the House Bibles, uh, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verse 1, page 750 in the House Bibles. Of course, you can use a Bible on your phone or on the Grace app, whatever you'd like. Um, But yeah, as you're turning there, I just do want to say a special greeting to our students. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you guys here. Uh, Those watching online, I love you guys as well. I know you're not here with us, but you're with us in spirit. So I do have to say, the hot sauce, guys. So um, when I, when I, when I, uh, last year, I don't remember when we did it, we filmed two, not one, but two different Hot Ones challenges where I was forced, forced, willingly forced to eat some of the most disgusting, hottest things imaginable. And then, so then, yeah, yesterday morning at 9 a.m., they had me eat M&Ms with hot sauce, lick them right off my hand like, a, like, a, like an animal. And uh, now I'm realizing that, unfortunately, this is becoming a thing. And so I don't know how we're not going to have to consistently give me hot sauce for these students for the rest of time. So you're welcome. I'll do it all for you. I love you guys. Um, all right, all right, all right. Enough about hot sauce. Let's talk about Jesus. Uh, all right. So uh, let me just kind of give you a quick little aside about John the man, because we're not really talking so much about him as an author. There are actually two schools of thought about who wrote the Gospel of John. Well, there's a bunch of schools of thought, but there's two big ones. One of them is that it is John the apostle or the disciple, the one who was one of Jesus's inner circle, one of his 12 closest, John. Uh, That's very likely. It's very possible. But there's also another guy that some people like to present as potentially the author of John. His name's John the Elder. Uh, John the Elder was also a follower of Jesus, but he just wasn't in that inner circle. It's possible that he lived like not up in Galilee, but down in Jerusalem or something. We don't know. All that to say, it doesn't really matter which of the two wrote this gospel, because both of them had the same thing true of them. They walked with Jesus. They saw his power. They saw his, his, his teachings, and they were with him even through his crucifixion, and they saw him when he rose from the dead. So both of these Johns, John the, the apostle and John the elder, they both were eyewitnesses to something that changed their entire world. Now it's the person of Christ. So John, whichever one it is, and it's a very common name back then, even as it is now, John is going to tell us what he experienced. So let's read this. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay, we'll stop right there. 
Now these five verses, what a way to start a story about Jesus, right? We could camp out here for a really, really long time. We're not going to do that. I just want to give you some high-level things to pay attention to here, uh, because we're going to keep reading in a moment. But uh, you, you may notice that the way that John begins his gospel is exactly the way that the entire Bible begins, right? In the, in, the, in the book of Genesis, it starts with, in the beginning. And here John is starting his gospel with, in the beginning. Uh, but he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't talk about the shepherds and the angels and the manger and all that. No, he doesn't even go there. What he says is that, that the word was with God, talks about the word. It, it both the word is God and the word is distinct from God. So what is he talking about here, right? What is the word? Well, in Greek, the word word is logos or logos. And there are entire books written about what logos or logos means. So I'm not going to like try to give you this whole giant theological class, but I'll tell you how I like to think of it, how I understand uh, logos. I think of it as uh, the word of God, the logos of God is God's will, his, his intentions, right? His, his purposes made real, okay? His will made real. For example, when God speaks in Genesis, he speaks, let there be light. And what happens? There's light, right? God speaks, his word speaks reality into existence, And look at verse 4. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. Right? There it is. Let there be light. God's purposes. It's all all tied together in the Word. So I, I know this is all really like heady theological stuff, right? This is hard to wrap your mind around, but the claim that John is going to go on to make about this word, he, he goes on and basically says that Jesus of Nazareth, this guy, this dude from rural Galilee, was that word, right? He is the word of God. He wasn't sent by the word. He wasn't empowered by the word. No, he is the word of God. Think about that. That's crazy. He is the—Jesus is, according to John, he is the will of God made real, personified. He's God's intentions walking among us. He's the means by which all life is created, and according to verse 4, he's the means by which all life is sustained. That guy, that one man right there is the word. Apart from God, according to Scripture, there's darkness and chaos and disorder, but when, when God speaks— There's order, and there's light, and there's life. And according to John, Jesus Christ is that light and that life. Now, he didn't make this up. He got this idea from Jesus himself, because Jesus said it himself many times, uh, talking about being the light of the world. In John 12, for example, Jesus says, I've come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. So, okay, right out of the gate, we can see how John's beginning. He is not just saying in his gospel, hey, let me tell you about this great prophet that came along, or this great teacher who's got some amazing life tips for you. That was not what he's saying. No, he's claiming that the very word of God walked among us. Okay, so that's crazy. That's intense, but he goes on. He goes on. Verse 6, he goes on. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light— so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Okay, so again, right out of the gate, John is He's setting up the main conflict or, or tension of his gospel right here. Uh, God's desire, God's, God's will in sending the word, the light of the world to us, in verse 7 is, so that everyone might believe, right? That's what he's trying to accomplish. And all who believe, verse 12, can become children of God. They are reborn into a new kind of life, okay? And that's great. That's amazing. God wants to bring humanity into the light, away from the darkness. That's a good thing. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. By the way, that's exactly what we see throughout the rest of the gospel. John presents, or Jesus presents God's heart for the world. He, he lives out a certain kind of, of, of truth, but most people that encounter him want nothing to do with it. They don't want to be a, a follower of this, of this Jesus. For example, Jesus is a, he's a holy man, right? He's godly, he's a, he's a, he's a very, very holy man, but who does he spend his time with? He spends his time with, with sinful, broken, outcast people, Right? That, we know that that's God's heart. He, spent, he cares about those who are broken. He cares about the sinful. But the religious leaders of the day, they're offended by this. Who does he think he is spending his time with the riffraff of the world? So they didn't recognize God in Jesus. Or another example, uh, Jesus constantly speaks of sin and, and redemption, right? Those are things that, that the rabbis, all the teachers of the day would have talked about, sin and, 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 you know, our failure of measuring up to God's standard. But when Jesus talked about sin, he always talked about it, uh, not as a matter of, of, of doing the right things. He talked about it in terms of trust and belief, and he claimed that God offers grace to those who are sinful, Like, he has grace for those who have messed up, which is not the way that everybody else was living. They were living like you had to, had to do all the right things to earn God's favor. And so people were ticked that Jesus is going around forgiving people's sins. They didn't recognize him. Or one more example. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he presents himself as a king. As the, as the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, right? He is the ruler of all which people have been waiting for, they're excited about, but when Jesus dis- displays his rule, what does he do? He serves. He lowers himself. He humbles himself. In, in the Gospel of John is where we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The king is acting like a servant. He's, and then he goes on to sacrifice his life for humanity. So what kind of a king is this? People are upset. They are, they are insulted because they've been waiting for a conqueror to come in on a, on a big steed, but instead they're getting this servant, the world doesn't recognize him. The world doesn't recognize him. And even the people of God, the Israelites themselves, they were the ones, who, of anybody on earth, they should be the ones to recognize their God in human form. They miss it. They reject him. Now again, like I said, John is provocative. 
right? He's putting things in very stark terms, opposing terms. And John is asking his readers to make a choice. Do you recognize the light? Do you recognize the light of God? If, it was, if the light of God was shining, would you know what it was? Would you recognize it? Or do you prefer the darkness? That's what John's asking. Not pulling punches, right? Here's Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him enough to follow where he leads? And in the Gospel of John, a lot of people say no, right? They say no, they walk away. Will we? That's what John is asking. All right, let's, let's finish up his intro here. Verse 14. John says, So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one that I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. The Word became human made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, is what John says here. Now, I have to go full Bible nerd on you for a second, because this is actually super cool what he does here. Uh, remember how at the very beginning, he, he's basically going back to Genesis, in the beginning, all that? Well, here, John is going right back to Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and he's doing it on purpose. It's not totally evident at first glance, but I promise it's there. For example, here's what it looks like. Um, when he says uh, the, that the word made his home among us, it's the Greek word skenao, skenao, which means to dwell in a tent or, or to encamp or to tabernacle, okay? It's not a word that we use, but, the, but I'll get to it. In the book of Exodus, when God first dwells among his people, he comes down to dwell among his people, the Israelites, his home, so to speak, is in this tent temple called the tabernacle, the tabernacle. It was a tent, and and. Whenever he came down to spend time with the people, it would also be really bright. It was like his glory would, would show up too. And the glory in the Old Testament, it's shiny, it's heavy, it's radiant. So much so that like when he's in the, he's in the tabernacle, it's like shining like a beacon that no one can even look at. Moses goes in and meets with God. And when he comes out, his face is shining really bright too because he, he just encountered the glory of God, right? So that's, that's what we see in Exodus. We see God's glory. And and all through uh, the story of, of God working with the Israelites, we see this, this uh, characteristic of God that he has, that he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. It says it all the time in the Old Testament. So God shows up with his glory. Here's what we've got here in, in Exodus. We've got God dwelling with the people in a tabernacle, in the tabernacle. He's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, and he is displaying his shiny glory. So here, what is John claiming about Jesus? Well, he says that he tabernacled, he dwelled with his people, he was filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, and he displayed his glory. So yet again, what John is doing, he's making a provocative claim. Jesus was not just some prophet, he was not just some holy man. Again, he was God himself walking among us. 
It's wild. And that is how John kicks off his book. He's basically saying to just right out of the gate, he's saying, look, Jesus Christ, that man from Nazareth, is God himself. He's the very word of God incarnate. He is the one through whom the entire universe was created. He is God's very intentions made real. He is here. He is among us. And I saw him with my own two eyes. That's what John is saying here. He's laying it all out there. And he's challenging his readers to make a choice. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And that's what we're going to ask ourselves for the next 12 weeks. That's why we're in this series. We are going to, we're going to go there and we are going to explore this provocative Jesus uh, that asks us to make a choice. Do we believe it? Now, I want to remind you of something. Because when we talk about belief, it's easy to think that we're just, this is all just some theological exercise, that, that it's all about agreeing or not agreeing with some historical facts or some, some like philosophical ideas. That's not what this is about. Remember, according to John, belief in Jesus or, or putting our trust in him, choosing to, to model our lives on his, that opens the door to life itself. Life now and life in the new creation. I want to have that kind of life, right? I want you to have that kind of life. So we are going to go there and we're going to explore what does John have to say about this life? And we are going to meet Jesus in a way that, that, frankly, it might challenge some of our presuppositions. Some of our presuppositions, if we don't believe, some of our presuppositions, if we've been following Jesus our whole lives, it is a challenging, provocative book. And it's going to challenge us. But for now, just for today, for the rest of the time we have, I just want us to stop and just ask ourselves a question, a reflective question, to think about what John presented here. Uh, And it's a question. He talks about Jesus as the the light of the world. So I just want to ask us to think about this. Have I experienced the light of Christ? Have I personally, have I experienced the light of Christ? Now again, when I say this, I don't mean have I prayed a prayer of salvation. I don't mean uh, do I call myself a Christian. I don't mean do I go to church sometimes. What I mean is have have I experienced the light of Christ, and and what the life that that brings to me. Has my life actually been changed? Do I, am I a different person because of the light of Christ? In verse 5, John John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So I'm asking, has the light of Christ shone into your darkness? Has the healing presence of Jesus entered the deep caverns of your heart? Has he brought life to places that were once dead? Can you say that's part of your story? Or or as this, has, has, has the mercy and grace of Christ, has it illuminated the, the places inside of you that are, that are your places of secret shame? Has, has that been brought into the light? Do you trust who he says you are? Or are you still, you know, living into who you think you are? Does the light of Jesus, here's this, does the light of Jesus not just shine in you, but through you? Literally, are are you walking around, when people look at you, do they see Christ? Is he shining, is he leaking out of you? Have you experienced that? I'm asking you to consider, has your life been transformed by the source of all life? By the word of God, have I experienced the light of Christ?
Have I experienced it? Let me just get personal for a moment. Because uh, I, I, there was a time in my life when I really needed that question. I really, I really would have loved to have that question asked because when I was in my early 20s, uh, I don't think I had, at least not fully. I was in a really dark, dark place. I was, I was cynical. I was angry. I was a source of darkness for anyone who was around me. Yeah, I told jokes. Yeah, I was funny, but I was, man, I was a source of darkness for people around me. Uh, at the same time, I was full of shame. I had a lot of shame built up. I also, frankly, I had some addictions that I was caught in. And, and looking back now at what I know about Jesus, I would categorically say that in my early 20s, I did not recognize Jesus, right? Like John says, I didn't recognize who he really was. Again, I, I thought of uh, Jesus as some sort of list of things to believe or sort of, sort of a moral checklist of things you had to do, like we're all just like robots trying to, trying to fulfill the program so we don't get deactivated, right? That's how I kind of thought about faith and, and following Jesus. At the same time, I was holding on to this shame, and I didn't understand who he said I was. Also, everybody said, oh, you know, best friends with Jesus. He sure didn't seem to take any interest in me. That's how it felt. Because of the Jesus that I was, I was uh, talking to didn't ever seem to respond. I did not see the light of Christ. It wasn't shining in my, light, in my life. And frankly, I believed or started to wonder if Jesus even cared at all about our broken world. Because I didn't recognize Jesus. But I thank God, and I, I talk about this all the time, I had a transformative experience. For me, I, it, was, it was an experience of actually going to Nairobi, Kenya, and living there for a whole year. I talk about it all the time. But I lived in Kenya, and it was, it was one of the first, most important times of my life where the light of Christ began to actually shine. And I got to know the real Jesus. And here's what I saw. I saw that when I brought my shame into the light, fearful, trembling, as I, as I began to come to grips with who I really was, you know what I experienced? I didn't experience judgment and condemnation. I experienced grace. He, he, he was there saying, I love you still. I've always loved you. I love you for who you are. I didn't expect that. I encountered poverty. I encountered some of the, the worst poverty I'd ever seen in my life. And you know what I discovered? Jesus, I thought he didn't care. Guess what? He was there mourning with those who were mourning. He was there suffering alongside those who were suffering. He was bringing healing. He was bringing life. He cared more than I could have possibly dreamed. I began to recognize the real Jesus because that's where he was. And when it came to all of my ideas about, about all the things I had to do and be, I realized I had it all backwards. It wasn't about me trying to earn God's favor. It was the fact that, that God's grace was enough. I was already forgiven. I didn't have to do anything. But out of that, I realized I was being invited to do something as a response to my faith. Not to earn God's favor, but to join him in the work that he was doing in this world. And I began for the first time to, to realize that I had a purpose beyond myself. And that purpose was not to spread darkness, but it was to radiate out the light of Christ that I was receiving, to begin uh, telling others and showing others what, who this Jesus really is. And guys, it is the first, it was the first step of a journey that led me to this moment. It led me to being a pastor. It led me to, to, to loving what God says through scripture because I began to actually recognize our Savior. I started to encounter the light of Christ. I'm telling you all of this to say, if Christ can shine into my darkness, he can shine into yours. 
and I want him to shine into yours. I had been a Christian for, well, 19, 20 years by that point when I was in my early 20s, and yet I had finally started to experience the light of Christ, to truly recognize him. Verse 16 here says, uh, from, his, from his abundance we've all received one gracious blessing after another. Well, guys, I began to actually feel that. I began to experience that, and oh, I want you to experience that too. I want you to experience that life. Not, not some spiritual high. You guys are probably feeling that spiritual high from this weekend. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not an emotion, but a confidence in who God says you are that shapes you for a lifetime. That is what I want you to feel. I want you to understand that the, the love of God, the life of Jesus is for you. It's for you. Have you let the light of Christ shine in your heart? Have you experienced that? John says that he revealed God to us. Have you come to know the real Savior that we believe in? Because if not, now's the time. Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I know some of you are probably all over the map on this. Some of you, maybe you've never believed and you just, you're like, I don't even know I don't even know what, what this light of Christ would even be like. I've not experienced it. Some of you, maybe you are stuck in your faith. Maybe you've been believing for a long time and, and yet you, you feel dead and dull and hollow. Maybe you're a source of darkness like I was. If any of that is true for you, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to be over here by the cross. Uh, the pastors of Grace and our, some of our prayer team members are going to be over by the cross. And during this last song, I want to invite you to come and join us and receive prayer. It's not going to be some magical light switch that'll flip in your life. Maybe, maybe it will. Probably not. But what it will be is an opportunity for you and for us to come together and just ask. Ask for Christ's light to shine. If you're feeling darkness, if you're feeling stuck, would you just come and open your palms and let it be a moment to pray and ask for his light to shine into your life. There is no shame in going up here. I would go up here. Come on up, receive prayer, because this is an opportunity to say to our Father in heaven, I want your light to shine in my life because I need to come alive again. Come join us for prayer. Let me pray. Father God, in this moment for, for, for all of us, uh, whether, we are, uh, whether we're in need of that prayer, whether we feel like we know the light, I know that your heart is for every one of us to experience life. And so my, my prayer, Father, is that we would, through your Holy Spirit's power, that we would hear the truth that we are beloved by you, that you desire for us to be in your presence, despite our shame, despite our mistakes, that you want your light to shine in us and through us. So Father, would you speak to us now, and would you speak through all of us as we pray for one another, for your light to shine. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your word made real. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.